to cover tonight. I would really like to do the whole chapter if we can. We got a mix of stuff, sheets back there, and if we're out of sheets, we can get some more copies. We also got a couple of uh, slides here and some stuff. So let's just go ahead and jump right into this. What happens in Genesis 25, this is a transition chapter. Abraham passes away, Isaac becomes center stage. This really sets us up because Isaac really doesn't take center stage for that long because we have Jacob and Esau that come into the play, and really the focus is going to be on Jacob. Jacob is going to be the father of the 12 tribes. So, and that is what's going to take us through the second half of the book of Genesis here. So we have really a chapter of transition. Abraham dies. We have uh, Isaac. Um, he has his two kids, Jacob and Esau. Like I said, that really just sets us up here for the rest. So let's jump right into this. Really the first... Gosh, really the first half of this chapter is kind of like house cleaning. Just want to kind of get through a few points. Really want to get to the last half of this message as we get to study the man Esau was. So jumping right into this, verse 1, it says, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Katara. And she bore him Zimran, Jokin, Meta, and Midian, Ishbak, and Shu. And I'm not going to read the rest of these names. Verse 4, all these were the children of Katara, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. It'd be really easy to skip over this, but it's a really neat picture. First off, Katara, she's called a wife here in verse 1. The better definition is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. She's referred to as his concubine. Now, this is part of the honesty of the Bible. Just because the Bible acknowledges that these things happened doesn't necessarily make them right. David had an affair with Bathsheba and killed Uriah and then tried to hide it. That's not an example of us to learn from of what to do. It's an example for us to learn from of what not to do. The Bible presents all of us human beings in all its awful honesty sometimes. So, Katara is really not a wife. She's a concubine. So she did have other children with Abraham. But if you know what happens, verse 5, here's the emphasis. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. It's still Isaac. Isaac is the focus. That's the one the Lord is going to use. He's the promised child. It's not Ishmael. It's not these other guys. It's Isaac. And plus also note in verse 6, he did give gifts to the other sons of the concubines. But look what he did. He sent them away from Isaac. Basically, love you, like you, here's your parting gift, we'll see you later. He wanted to keep Isaac away from all this. He wanted to keep Isaac away from potential problems. What type of problems could they be? Well, if you ever want to study this out one time, go back and look up these guys' names. Jokshin, Midian, Midian. Their names mean snare, contention, and strife. Would you not like to keep your children from snares, contention, and strife? Abraham and his love is saying, I want so much of a focus to be on Isaac here that I want to send these people away. I will give them gifts. I'll take care of them. But focus is on Isaac. Parents, loved ones, friends, we need to make sure sometimes that we be very careful about who we allow into our circle. Because sometimes we allow snares, contentions, and strife into our circle. And then we sit there and we wonder why things don't go as well as it could be. Now be careful with this teaching. Some of you may be out there thinking, well, my spouse is my snare, my contention, my strife. Totally different ball game when you're married, one flesh. But other times in life, sometimes we allow people into our lives. In the book of Mark, when God calls James and John as uh, disciples, 
The Bible says they left two things behind. The first thing they left behind were their nets. And that's a picture of them leaving behind their old lifestyle to focus on Jesus. The next verse says they left behind their father. And you kind of just read over that and you don't think about it. Really, it's a picture of what we're supposed to do with Christ. When you and I get saved, we're supposed to leave our nets behind, our old lifestyle behind. We can't have the same lifestyle we had before we got saved, after we got saved. It doesn't work. We leave it behind. The next one is sometimes you've got to leave people behind. Now, this doesn't mean you don't love them. This doesn't mean you don't want them to come to know Christ. It doesn't mean that. But sometimes these friends, and we use that term very lightly, are not friends in any way whatsoever. They're spiritual burdens to us that are snare, contention, and strife. And sometimes the Lord says the best thing you could do is to break that relationship off and move forward in my walk with you. Now, that doesn't mean that we're holier than thou. It doesn't mean that we're better than people. It means in all honesty... That I'm not strong enough to be around that person. If I'm around that person, I'm going to get pulled into an old lifestyle. That's what it means. It doesn't mean I don't love that person. It doesn't mean God doesn't love that person. And it doesn't mean if I see them in Walmart, I make the sign of the cross and run away from them. It means that I realize that people have influence on my life. And if people have influence on my life that is not holy and good, then sometimes I really got to be careful about who I spend time with. Now, you're around coworkers. You're around family members that you may have no say in that. But we have to be careful in who we allow to influence us. That's why it's so important to build relationships in the body of Christ. Truth be told, sometimes there's snare contentions and strife in the body of Christ. But right here in our example, Abraham is saying, the focus, verse 5, is Isaac. Verse 6, I need to keep him safe, so I'm sending them away eastward so there'd be no problems. And the focus then is on Isaac. Isaac takes center stage here for Genesis 25, a little bit of Genesis 26. And then basically in Genesis 27, he hands it over to Jacob. And Jacob takes center stage for the rest of the book of Genesis. Verse 7, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zorah, the Hittite, if you remember correctly. We talked about that back in Genesis 23. Dustin, if you want to put that slide up there real quick. Real quick reminder of where that cave was. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is where Sarah's buried. This is where Abraham's buried. This is where Isaac's buried with Rebekah. This is where Jacob's buried. And this cave is still there. And if you remember correctly, we talked about a couple weeks ago, what has happened is the Muslims have built a uh, mosque on top of it, and we kind of talked about it. But just a quick reminder right there. That's the cave south of Jerusalem there, Hebron there. Verse uh, 10, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Ber Laha Roy. So, finishes up Abraham. Now, the main purpose here is Isaac. Now, before we get into Isaac, because I really want to get to Esau, that's the main focus of tonight. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about the first 11 verses here, the death of Abraham, or uh, Abraham taking another wife and his kids before we move on? Jody. Yeah, there never seems to be between Isaac and Ishmael this bone of contention. There's enough of an age difference between them. And what we can tell also back in the earlier part of Genesis is when Isaac got old enough that Ishmael was basically sent off. I, I can't think of a single example in the Bible where Isaac and Ishmael had any contention with each other. Ishmael here in a couple of verses, he actually goes on and does pretty good for himself. So God blessed him and he was blessed as God promised him it would be. Ron. Did they build a 
No, they would have built a Muslim temple in that because of Abraham. To the Muslims, Abraham is very important because Abraham is the father of Ishmael, which Ishmael then would be the father of the Muslims. So to, to the Muslims, Abraham is very important to them. And also, when they name their children, like you talk about, how do they know when they're born? Yeah. Well, you know what the name Ron means? I'm just kidding, man. I'm not, not going to go there. I was going to do it. I was going to do it, and I caught myself. Not going to do that. Not going to do that. Do you know what the name Ron means? I'm just wondering, dude. Son of God. Son of God. Oh. See, I'm not going to go down this path. Um, my personal opinion Sometimes in the Bible, they are named specifically. Here in verse 25, when Jacob and Esau are born, they name him Esau because he comes out hairy. So that's what they name him. They name Jacob, Jacob because he's a deceiver, because he's trying to grab the foot. So they are literally named for what was going on at that time. And if you get to Jacob, his youngest son, Benjamin, and I can't remember, she was going to name him something else, which meant son of my sorrow, because she died during childbirth. And basically, Jacob said him, he can't carry that burden the rest of his life, and he changed his name. So some of these kids were literally named for what was going on at that time of their birth. Some of them, I believe, like here, um, if we go back to Jacques, Midian, Midian, etc. We don't have the story of their background, but it is interesting to study out the names and realize, okay, is that why he got rid of them? We don't know for sure. I would assume, my personal opinion, that Abraham having... Um, Children with a concubine, I'm willing to bet Abraham didn't put a lot of name, a lot of attention to the names of those kids. That's just my personal opinion there. Anybody else have anything before we move on? Yeah, Mom. So Ishmael got higher priority Well, Ishmael got higher priority because if you remember back in Genesis, where was that? Um Genesis, is that Genesis 21 or 20? There's that time when Isaac is born and basically Abraham says, what about Ishmael? And basically God says, because Ishmael is so important to you, I will bless him as well. So because Ishmael was important to Abraham, God was willing to say, I will give him a blessing as well too. And it was a promise that God gave. I wrote down the reference, Genesis 17. That's what it is. Let's just go ahead and jump to that. You don't have to turn there real quick. Um... You don't need to turn there real quick because what it is going on here is if you look, jump ahead to Genesis 25 actually. It says in verse 12, now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, born to Abraham. Verse 13 starts going through their kids. Verse 14, verse 15. Verse 16 is the key here. And it says, these were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to their nations. My reference is actually Genesis 17.20, excuse me. If you look in Genesis 17.20, God says there, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. So the reason Ishmael was blessed is because God basically said to Abraham, I'm willing to do this for you as a favor. Abraham pleaded for Ishmael, and in Genesis 17, God says, I hear you, Abraham, because of you, I will bless Ishmael, because you're that important to me. It does not look like Abraham had that type of relationship with these other ones. If Abraham would have said, Lord, what about uh, Midian? I don't know, maybe God would have done something. But specifically, Abraham asked for a blessing upon Ishmael, and God said, I will do it. Kathy.
Oh, because Isaac wasn't there, you mean? Yeah, and that's interesting because Isaac is down here at this, in verse 11, this Bier, Laha, Roy. And if you remember on the map, it's actually farther to the south. And we talked about how Isaac is actually a picture of Jesus because Isaac kind of disappears off the scene and doesn't show back up again until Rebecca shows back up. But you're absolutely right. When Sarah dies and is buried in chapter 23, there's no reference to Isaac. There's no reference to Ishmael in any way. I can't. I can't answer that. I don't know. I. We don't know. I would assume that you know eventually this, the time would come out. And you got to remember, with Jewish burial, they buried right away, if sometimes even the same day. So I'm willing to bet if they came back, they probably didn't come back in the sense for the actual burial because the Jews did not embalm their dead. This couldn't have stuck around for that you know that long. But we do know by Ishmael, jumping back down to verse 17, these were the years of life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go towards Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. Can you put that next picture up there real quick, Dustin? This is just to give you a map here. You can see the area that Ishmael is in. I don't want to get on my soapbox, but if you note, the land of Israel is not in this area. Just want to remind everybody that one more time. When God comes to give the land and he sets out the boundaries, Ishmael, who is the descendant of the Muslims, they're in this area. They're not near Israel. You can see Israel up there against the water to the left. Just a reminder of that. God gave them their land. God blessed them with their area. Twelve princes. You got it. Now, thousands of years later, there's the problems that happen there. So I just wanted to kind of throw that situation out there. One other point I just need to say here, depending on your translation, it's kind of interesting. If you look at verse 18, where it says, He died in the presence of all his brethren. NIV or New Living Translations, your phrase doesn't say he died in the presence. That word literally means he fell in the presence of his brethren. I find this interesting, and it's a deeper study. Verse 11 is the word death, right? Excuse me, verse... um, Where is that at? Where it says that Abraham died, right there in verse 8. That word died is a different word than verse 18. Abraham's word for death seems to denote an end, a going to peace, going home. Ishmael's word for death is more of a representation of he just fell. And I think it carries a spiritual connotation there that we're not thinking that Ishmael was really walking with the Lord at this point. So when we die as believers, the Bible says that actually we go to sleep. The Bible says it's like falling asleep and then waking up in heaven. But yet when a non-believer dies, they don't have that promise of peacefulness. And it's interesting that the Bible uses a different word for died in verse 18. It may be translated the same in English, but in the Hebrew, it's actually a different word. And it carries a different connotation there. So if you're a note taker and you like those details, I just kind of find that a little interesting. Ron. Why do the Muslims hate Israel so much? Well... That is a really good question, and my answer is not the most political answer. I think the Muslims hate Israel so much because it's a satanic hatred. That's my personal opinion. I think anything that is loved of God, the enemy always raises up to kind of hate that. I mean, if you look back of why did in the book of Esther, why did they want to kill all the Jews? It's a satanic hatred. Why at the beginning of the book of Exodus did Pharaoh say, let's kill all the young infants of of them? Satanic hatred. Why did Herod want to kill all the young boys? A satanic hatred. My personal opinion is when God says, hey, I like this. This is good. What's the enemy going to do? He's going to hate it. Think of all the things that God says he likes. He likes uh, fill in the blank. He likes marriage. 
So what does the enemy do? He tries to destroy the institution of marriage. God says, I like unity. And the enemy says, well, hey, let's bring in division. Very simply put, whatever God says he likes, the enemy says he's going to hate. Maybe that's too simple of an answer, but that's just my simple answer there. Mm-hmm. What Satan always will do is try and emulate in a counterfeit way. And if you look at Islam and its foundation from Abraham, you have Ishmael and Isaac, and they run parallel. And if you look at Islam, Allah is a counterfeit God, Muhammad is a counterfeit Jesus. So for them to be at animosity to each other is and it's interesting that Isaac has Jacob that has 12 tribes of Israel. You have Ishmael that has the 12 princes. And, you know, even taking Marcus's point there, if you jump all the way back to the end of the book of Revelation, the Antichrist has his own little false resurrection. He has his own little false prophet. And, and really what Satan does is just, and I think Marcus brings up a good point. First off, Satan hates everything that is of God. And Satan will try to take anything that is good and just twist it. And just absolutely twist it. So that's what you kind of have there. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay, let's pick up the pace here a little bit because I want to get to Esau. So we have right here in verse 19, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Now, it's interesting. Abraham begot Isaac, verse 19. What's not mentioned, anybody else? The focus is just Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethel, the Syrian, of Paddan, Arma, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Reminder from last week, this is Isaac's cousin. Verse 21, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah's wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. I love verse 22, such a simple passage. Something's not right. Something doesn't click. Let's go talk to the Lord about it. How often do we do this in life? I just don't feel right in my life. So I'm going to talk to this person, this person, this person, this person, and this person. I'll watch TV shows on it. I'll read books about it. Why not, verse 22, talk to the Lord about it? And this idea of inquiring, this is not just a little bypass of, Hey, Lord, what's going on? Thanks, I'll talk to you later. This is, I want to sit down and seek the Lord on this. I I remember one time there was a gal that was coming out here to church, new believer, just growing like you wouldn't believe. And I asked her one time after church, I said, How's it going? She says, it's good. She goes, I'm reading the Bible. She goes, I got all these questions. And I said, well, hey, why don't you ask me? She looked at me. She goes, I don't want to. She goes, I'd rather just seek the Lord and then just see what he has to say. I thought, well, how cool is that? Just seek the Lord. So she called me up later that week, and she was so disgusted. She goes, I haven't got my answer yet, so I had to ask you. But it was that idea of she just wanted to say, Lord, I want to just check with you. And, and I know for me personally, sometimes when I get overwhelmed with stuff, it's really easy for me to say, I wonder what, what Rich thinks of this. I wonder what Dawn thinks of this. I wonder what they think of this. Where the Lord really just says, why don't you and I just sit down and talk about this? So she inquired of the Lord. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over all of his body. So they called his name Esau, which Esau means hairy. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. This idea of literally one who takes the heel, being deceitful. Almost this picture of Jacob trying to pull Esau back in so he could be the firstborn. His name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew. 
Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Boy, this is just a picture-perfect movie here. Esau is the man's man. I, you know, I think when you would see Esau, I'm guessing Esau was a big boy. I bet you Esau had this huge bushy beard. I bet he had a deep baritone bass voice. I bet he had a hearty laugh. I bet he was just the center of attention. He was, he's a natural born killer. He's killing the food. He's bringing it home. And daddy's boy, you know, come on Esau, let's go play catch. Then you got Jacob. Jacob, my translation said he was a mild man. Some of your translations say ordinary, quiet. I bet you Jacob was shorter than Esau. Jacob probably didn't have a lot of hair. Jacob was probably a little bit more soft-spoken. And Jacob comes right out and says, dwelling in tents. Esau, hey, let's go out and kill something. I don't want to do that. Come on, let's go wrestle. I don't want to do that. This mild, quiet type of guy. So what happens here? Jacob, excuse me, Isaac and Esau hit it off. And what becomes Jacob? He becomes, in my, my translation, he becomes mama's boy. And that's kind of what he just does. So you can see how this builds up. Now, Esau is, is the brute. Esau is the power. Jacob's the brains. Verse 29, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom becomes a thorn in the side of Israel for the rest of the Old Testament here. Edom means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is his birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, if you look at your sheets here, let's look at Esau. This is what I wanted to get to. Esau. There is not much good. In fact, I, I can't... There's only one good thing we can say about Esau. And that in a few chapters, when Isaac dies and Jacob and Esau finally meet, Esau doesn't kill Jacob. That's about the only good thing you can say about Esau. Look at this guy. Esau. Decisions based on emotion. Verse 32, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Now, come on. Is he really about to die? I mean, I read this, and I thought, okay, maybe it's possible that he has been outside for weeks, and he's really going to die. But if you look at it, verse 34, he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. That doesn't sound like somebody who's so emaciated that he's about to die. It sounds like somebody who's hungry. Do you not know somebody who just is so emotional that they just get so worked up and they make these what I call huge grandiose statements. They're not basing anything on the faith of the Bible, the logic of the Bible. It's on the emotion of that time. And it's these wide-ranging things of, you've never loved me, you've never cared for me, everybody hates me. You just want to grab them and say, come on, that's Esau. Settle down. Esau, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Next thing, he despises what is good. Verse 34, he despises his birthright. Now, this birthright is big. We know the full picture. This birthright is the holder of the genealogy of the Messiah. So, whoever holds this birthright is the one that the Lord is going to use to bring the Messiah to build the nation. Jacob has the birthright. He has 12 sons. And he is the father of Israel. 
Esau people despise what is good. They, they, they have access to God's word, to truth, to godly fellowship, to good choices. They just don't care. They despise what is good and they would rather walk in their own desires. The next one, and we're going to have to jump ahead here. We're not going to turn there, but they're selfish. In a couple chapters, when Jacob is deceitful and steals the birthright from Esau, Esau's main response, if you look in verses 34 and 38 that I printed out here for you, is just this constant crying and bless me. What are Esau people? Esau people are selfish. No one ever thinks about me. It's always about somebody else. Doesn't anybody ever care about me? Doesn't anybody see how difficult I have? Does anybody know how hard I work, how rough it is? That's an Esau person. It's this selfishness, this crying of bless me, bless me. And you almost want to say to the Esau people, the world does not revolve around you. It doesn't. The Esau people are the ones that try to convince you that they've had the roughest life that have ever existed on planet Earth. That's that selfishness. What else do you see about an Esau person? Look at verse 41 of Genesis 27. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau people hold grudges. They will never forget how they have been wronged. They will remember it, and at the right moment, they will always bring it up to remind you that they remember what happened. That's an Esau person. It's not a heart of forgiveness. It's not a heart of love. It's a heart of revenge. And turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 28. This one was too long to print. I wanted to just turn there. Blatant sin. Esau people will just do what is wrong just because it's wrong. They will do it to shove it in your face. An Esau person is the type of personality that says, I know this action bothers you, so I'm purposely going to do this to make you upset. Look at verse 6. Of Genesis 28, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him charge saying, you should not take a wife from the daughter of Canaan. Basically, go get one of our family members to marry. Don't marry one of these Canaanites. Verse 7, that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and the sister of Nabajah, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Esau says, hey, dad wants me to marry a good Canaanite, excuse me, marry a good Jewish girl. I'm going to go marry a Canaanite girl. That's an Esau. He's purposely going to do the opposite of what is good, of what is right, and he's going to do it to shove it in your face. What's the result of this? Let's finish this up. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Let's remind ourselves, these Esau people, emotional. I, I, I wish I could go back in time and see this, because I, I had this envisionment of Esau being this man's man, but I just envisioned him sitting at his father's tent just in tears saying, bless me, bless me, bless me. They're emotional. They despise what is good. They're selfish in their heart and attitude. They have a heart of revenge. They won't forget what people have done to wrong them. They will just do blatant sin to get back at you. And the result of this, Hebrews chapter 12... Verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look carefully, lest anyone you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, a profane person like Esau, immoral, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. 
For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. See, Esau sought diligently repentance, and that word literally means change. He wanted to go back and change what happened. But the truth was, it had already happened. He already passed on it. He let go of it. So no matter how many tears he cried, nothing could go back and change the fact that Jacob got the birthright. You know, we say this saying all the time, you can't cry over spilled milk. That's the truth. Esau, no matter what he did, he can't go back and change this. The blessing went to Jacob. I hate to say this. There's not a lot of good you can say about Esau. And I hate to say this. You run into a lot of Esau's, don't you? These personality traits, these are a person that is run by the flesh, it's run by emotion, it's run by selfishness and sin. This is not the heart of a person that is focused on what is right, good, or holy in the eyes of God. And you can see why. And we didn't have time to get into it because it starts a whole new study. But in the book of Galatians, the question comes up of, why did God allow this to happen? And the answer is because the Bible comes out and says, God loved Jacob but hated Esau. Because... God, in his foreknowledge, knew what Esau was going to become. Esau was not going to be the father of the Jews. Esau was not going to be the father of the Messiah. Not with that heart, not with that personality. This was a blatant, sinful man that focused on emotions and revenge, not what was good, not what was right, not what was best for anybody, but only best for himself. If you have an Esau like that, if you know that, my goodness, the best thing you can do is pray and fast for that person to really understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ. When I've run into Esau personalities, they're some of the most joyless people I've ever met. Because they are so mad, angry, upset at everything. Boy, they don't have joy. And your heart just kind of breaks for them. So, it's a little bit after 8. We've got to kind of stop here abruptly. We covered a lot. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here over anything, especially as we introduced Esau and Jacob here to kind of close up? All right, next week we'll continue on. We have a little brief stop here with Isaac one more time. And uh, then after that, really the focus becomes Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel as we continue our study here through the book of Genesis. Hey, we have a wedding coming up this Saturday, so if we could have some help to split the chairs and get the... Uh, uh, musical instruments off. We're leaving the um, clavinova up there, but we just need to get the rest of the stuff off and split the chairs. If we could have some people help with that, we'd really appreciate it. So let's pray, and then we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, looking at this list of Esau, boy, help us. Help us not to be so emotional that we lose the focus on you. Help us not to despise what is good in our lives, Lord. Help us not to be selfish. Help us not to have a heart of revenge and anger. Lord, help us not to walk in blatant sin, but really just help us to serve you and love you in all ways and all things. Thank you for being a God of mercy, a God of grace. I mean, we love you, Lord. And we just want to bless the people on the missions trip, keep them safe, bring them home safe as they serve and minister. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week, and God bless.